how do we start this thing again? Oh, okay, I remember now. We start it like Leave that part in. This is Cinema Roundtable. Stefan Decker, and I am here with my usual co-hosts, Haley. Hi! And Bo. Hello there! And today we're here to talk about some of the movies we've seen, uh, and our feature film this episode is The Farewell. Uh, but before we get to that, we are going to talk about some of the other movies that we've seen. Uh, let's kick it off with a bang, the ninth, ninth Tarantino film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, we both saw this. Yeah, yeah I right? saw it because, you know, Tarantino comes to town, you go see it. <laughs> and you just... You I just remember, what are you doing? I remember you that seen motto. It. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I plan, I, you know, honestly, like I think most of Tarantino stuff is overrated. We're mm-hmm. going to get hate mail for that. We're canceled now, I'm just sure. wait That's till okay. you hear I what actually, I have to say. I wholeheartedly agree with <laughs> but that sentiment. this one, I actually like kind of want to see. So nice. let's, let's hear about it and maybe I'll change my mind. Uh, so this is his ninth film, as you said, because he likes to count Kill Bill's volume one and two as one movie. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Tenth. Yes. Um, So I think that's interesting. But uh, this is kind of about the end of the golden age of Hollywood, um, focusing on um, a famous actor, Rick Dalton, and his stuntman, Cliff something. And uh, also shows Sharon Tate as well. Are these, okay, are these real people? Sharon Tate is. Well, I know Sharon Tate's a real person. But Rick Dalton is Cliff Booth. Cliff Booth and Rick Dalton are... Um, fictional characters and uh, this is kind of less I would say it's less a movie about plot and more about just kind of evoking a time and a place and kind of leaving you sit there for two and a half hours and just kind of absorbing it and um, I know that Quentin Tarantino is a huge fan of this period of time and the movies that came out in this period of time and Mm -hmm. so I think he's been building up to making this movie for a many years and he's wanted to make it for a long time and it clearly i think shows like he's even if not a lot is happening you can tell that he put a lot of love into this movie and um i think there there might be like three or four kind of mini storylines going on Mm -hmm. or main ideas going on one of them is kind of the friendship between cliff and rick another is rick kind of getting past his prime and getting depressed about that. He's kind of over the hump a little bit. And the other is kind of providing you a slice of life look into Sharon Tate and um, seeing what she's up to. There's other things as well, but it kind of jumps between all those things. And um, yeah, for me, I don't know about you, Haley, but I kind of like found it to be a little... um, scatterbrained I guess yeah like it was kind of all over the place and I didn't feel like any of the one storylines emerged as the main emphasis of the film and not that that was supposed to be the goal but I didn't find any one piece terribly interesting yeah yeah no I agree I remember 
Well, I remember when I was watching it, I was like, oh, the style's really cool. Mm -hmm. And like, oh, that's cool, blah, blah, blah. And then I was just kind of like, okay, why? <laughs> I was just, especially near the end, I was like, oh, okay. Like, not, I'm not going to spoil it or anything, but this big thing happens that's kind of supposed to be like, you know, the climax. And it's just like, it's done. And you're like, okay, well, yeah. that, I, that was two and a half hours. That scene was maybe 10 minutes. Okay, mm -hmm. it's done. Also, okay, <sighs> kind of like what you said, Stefan, I think Tarantino films are kind of overrated. Uh, and I I just feel like I like some of his films, but I've noticed when I watch some of them, I just get annoyed. And I'm like, I don't think I would like Tarantino <laughs> if I met him in real life. <laughs> I'm like, this movie's kind of conceited, like yeah. just over the top with putting his like, quote touch on things and like the weird yeah. foot fetish thing yes this movie i've seen his movies i think this one had the most like feet <laughs> part like whatever little feet scenes yeah. like out of all the other movies like okay i get it like oh girl props her feet up once that's fine it was constant with this movie and i was just like kind of grossed out and i was like hey tarantino we get it you like feet. I'm like, can I, Can we stop? And it was just like stuff like that that just kind of annoyed me when I watched it. And by the end of it, I was just like, eye roll. But there were, like I said, I like the style of it. You could tell he put a lot of time in like each scene. Mm -hmm. And that was really cool. But the payoff was just not, not very satisfying. Yeah, Stefan and I have a mutual friend who has described Quentin Tarantino's films as this. Every time she watches one, she can't help but feel his ego yes! seep into every single frame, and it yes. annoys the crap out of her. That she, is exactly how I feel. She can't watch any of his movies. She she put it into words, because I tried watching a couple other of his movies I haven't seen, yeah. and I just fell asleep from exhaustion of annoyance. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I do agree with you, though, uh, that, you know, technically it's a very well-made film. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. you yeah. Know, it's like one of those movies where every scene looks amazing. Um, every detail is is very carefully picked and everything. And, you know, it's like, honestly, my, my list of cons isn't that long. You know, yeah. I, I kept thinking like, wow, the performances are amazing. It's probably going to get acting nominations this award season. Uh, it looks amazing. It, it totally evokes this period of time in a way that I haven't seen in any other movie. But I just kept thinking, this movie feels like it's dragging on mm -hmm. and on. It feels so lethargic. There's so many scenes where characters just talk about nothing, which is kind of Tarantino's thing. Characters yeah. talking about oh, nothing, yeah. but there's a lot of subtext to what they're saying. Like, there's a lot of that in Pulp Fiction and stuff, but here I just don't think it works as well. Um, so I guess, you know, if I were more sympathetic to him as a person, I would feel happy. <laughs> no feel, one feels bad for him. I'd feel happy that he got to kind of make the movie of his dreams. But um, for me, technically, really interesting and impressive, but doesn't really hold up story-wise for me. 
Well, and when I heard Margot Robbie was going to be in it, I was excited because I'm like, oh, she's like such a good actress. Like mm-hmm. I love everything she's been in. And and then you watch her being Sharon Tate and she's just she's not very utilized in this movie at all. No. She's she literally feels like a prop in this movie. Yeah. And that's just sad because she's so talented. I would have liked to see her do something yeah you know and i think his point with how she was written was you know in in real life she was murdered because of the manson family yeah she was a victim in that you know horrible incident but i think his goal was just to show how normal of a person she was because whenever people think back 50 years ago Mm -hmm. to sharon tate they just think about what happened to her and i think he just wanted to show her going to the bookstore, going yeah. to going to her own movie at the movie theater and sitting kind of in secret and listening to how people respond to the movie that she's in. You know, the, there's a lot of those moments where she's just living life, you know, having her innocent, peaceful time. And so I thought it was a good break away from some of the other like kind of grittier parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it could have used more of her, you know, even more. Yeah. I agree. Now here's a little bit of uh, inside baseball for you, uh, for you listeners out there. Uh, this was almost our featured film this time when it looked like uh, the farewell would get very limited to almost no release in Lincoln. So this this was almost our featured film. It was. Uh, are we happy that it wasn't? I think so. I think so. Because yeah. I really, I mean, we'll talk about it, but I was glad we saw the farewell. Okay. Yeah, and honestly. If you asked me, like, gun to my head, would you recommend watching this movie? I'd probably still say yes, just because yeah. there's nothing else like it. Mm. And it's probably going to be a movie that many, many people see. Tarantino film, you know, you can hate watch it, you know. I <laughs> yeah. think it'd still be worth yeah. your time. <laughs> All righty. Uh, let's move on. Let's talk about uh, the standoff at Sparrow Creek. Standoff at Sparrow Creek. I caught this in the... Green? I saw it on Hulu. Okay. Is that what we say? We I, we haven't said yet, I okay. don't think. I don't think we've used that one yeah. yet. Uh, so this movie has a very small cast. It was released technically last year, but really kind of got distribution this year, I think. Um, it stars James Badge Dale and a whole bunch of other character actors. And uh, this is the premise. So it takes place in kind of a rural area in Texas. And there is a funeral going on for a police officer and there's a bunch of police officers in attendance at that funeral and a gunman shows up to this funeral and commits mass murder he just starts shooting up this funeral and it all happens off screen you're with Gannon the main character played by James Badgedale and he kind of is hanging out in the wilderness and he hears distant gunfire and there's a lot of hunting in this area but he hears a lot of gunfire, and it's actually from this shooting. He is a member of a local militia, and the militia isn't at this funeral, but the militia, you know, in times of crisis, they, they meet up at their private warehouse slumber mill location, and they figure out how they can aid the police. Uh, he hops on his police scanner, and he hears the police talking about this shooting and that the gunman has fled on foot and is still at large. And so he coordinates with his fellow militia members, and they meet at their lumber mill, and uh, they all meet up. 
They talk about how they can, you know, like help the police find this guy. And then as they're monitoring the police radio, they soon find out that the police suspect that it's one of the militia members who has just committed this crime at this funeral. And they're all standing there. So they go, it wasn't one of us. There's no way. And at their lumber mill, they have their armory. They go check their stocks of everything. And one of their assault rifles is missing, along with tons of ammunition and grenades. And the only people who have access to this armory are them. And so it's one, it seems to be one of them has committed this mass shooting. And Gannon has to proceed to, um, because he has an alibi, he proceeds to interrogate his fellow militiamen. Um, and so it's kind of a, a, a mystery kind of thriller. A it's really bit of a whodunit. Whodunit. Um, very small cast. I think there's only seven or so militia members. So he has to like coordinate with the de facto leader of the group and then all of the other members and kind of you know interrogate them, figure out who knows what. All of them know kind of different information. And uh, it's less than 90 minutes. It's if you like movies that are set in one location and are kind of gritty without being violent, this movie is awesome. I really like it had me like my heart pounding at times. And it was at a lot of times it's just people talking and it's uh, was really tense nonetheless. So I really recommend it. It's the standoff at Sparrow Creek. Okay, so um, looking at some of the screenshots, listening to you talk about it. It's reminding me of uh, one of our former future films, just a little bit in the sense that it's a whodunit kind of mystery sort of a thing. So um, what I'm thinking of Widows. Yeah. How how does it compare to, to that in terms of like, which one would you prefer to watch? Mm. Well, Widows. I, I, I understand that it's, pretty different in a lot of ways. Sure, but. sure. Well, Widows has a lot to do, on top of its kind of central mystery, it has a lot to do with politics and race relations and stuff. It is a very, it's a very thick movie with lots of ideas. I think this is more focused. Okay. Um, I think I would want to rewatch both of those movies, but in different moods. Okay. If I'm purely looking for the thrill... I'm probably going to watch Standoff, but if I really want to get invested in that deep story that Widows had, that's when I'd do that. So I, I, I kind of would equally recommend them. Um, I will say that Standoff, I guess a good movie to compare it to, speaking of Tarantino, it's actually really similar to Reservoir Dogs, okay. if you've seen that movie. Yes. Um, which is one of my favorite. That's Tarantino one. That's movies. like the one that I like. Yes, yeah. that's um, the one I fall asleep to. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Yeah, that makes Whoops. sense. <laughs> but uh, I, I actually prefer it to Reservoir Dogs. You know, it takes place in one location. There's a crime that's just been committed, and all these people have to, you know, totally thrown into this situation unexpectedly, and they have to figure out who knows what, who did what. Um, and I will say, one or two of the characters really didn't seem kind of grounded. Um, the way they're written just seems very out there compared to a lot of the other characters. That was one minor gripe I had. And then the end of the movie requires, it has a twist, kind of requires a little suspension of disbelief. But by that point, I was very invested and it didn't really bother me a, a whole lot. So it's on Hulu and I, I recommend it. And it's by a um, newer director. His name is Henry Dunham. 
Yes, Henry Dunham. And this is his first feature-length movie, so I'm excited to see what he does next. All righty. Up next, uh, I'm going to talk very briefly about a new animated I'm going to call it a film. It's It's got a runtime of an hour and like 15 minutes or so. Um, but it is Invader Zim, Enter the Florpus. Um, <laughs> now, <Okay. laughs> uh, have you, who, who among you used to watch Invader Zim, if either I, of you? I did, but I really don't remember anything about it. Yeah, very casually. Like yeah. maybe... The first episode and a few episodes after that. Okay. And I don't really remember a whole lot. I just saw it on Cartoon Network or wherever it's from randomly. Is, okay. Isn't Zim, isn't Zim kind of looked down upon by his race from from space and they send him to Earth? To, yes. Is, Earth is his assignment? Yes. Right? Mm. That he yes. has to overtake or something? Yeah. They tell him that it's a very special secret assignment that he has to conquer Earth, but really they're just trying to get rid of him because they, gotcha. they that's, that's hate him is. and he's annoying. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a Nickelodeon series. Invader Zim is a Nickelodeon series that ran mm. for, I think, two, maybe three seasons. Uh, was back, you know, I was in middle school when yeah. it was at its, mm-hmm. at its peak. Um, so it really spoke to me then a lot. And uh, I I watched Invader Zim Enter the Florpus. I knew this was coming. I was excited for it because I used to love Invader Zim. You know, I loved all the characters that all the Invader Zim fans like. You know, I really love Kerr and thought he was really funny and hmm. uh, liked to see, you know, Dib fail all the time. And um, so, you know, I was I was just, I was into it, you know, and I was like, okay, I'll watch Enter the Florpus. My wife's asleep. She doesn't have to worry about me watching you know any sort of animated she doesn't have to watch an animated show with me so i can just enjoy (laughs) it all on my own um and so the the point of this movie is uh the the premise rather is that um zim is still you know trying to please the tallest which are the leaders of the alien race um they are the leaders because they are tall uh so he's trying to please the tallest still trying to conquer earth um and uh he he learns he finally learns that the tallest have no interest in conquering earth that he has been sent there to be basically exiled uh and he feels defeated and he expresses that and stops his plans um dib who is his uh rival always trying to expose him as an alien on earth uh encounters him and tries to you know capture him he's like i'm going to expose you zim uh, but he's like, yeah, okay, whatever. I give up, you know, because the tallest, they don't care about him. So the whole movie uh, evolves from Zim being captured by Dib willingly just because the tallest don't care about Earth. And uh, um, basically, it's you. It's pretty clear because it happens pretty soon in the movie that it's a trick, like something's still going to happen. Zim still has something up his sleeve, and he does and it turns, and uh, all the same tropes that you see from the old Invader Zim show uh, happen in the movie. And uh, I kind of, I kind of wonder nowadays if I would still enjoy Invader Zim as an adult, like I did when I was a kid, because I was very much into the the random humor, the absurdity of just nonsense that Invader Zim has, and that was very much my humor in middle school. I don't know if that stands today. 
Would you say that watching this movie, it, it made you reminiscent of that show? Did it feel organically, you know, an extension of that series from middle school? Honestly, it feels a little bit more polished in a lot of ways. Um, one of the things that I never really cared for about Invader Zim was that they used a lot of like kind of gross imagery, like anything mm-hmm. that could be pussy was pussy. Oh. Anything that could have snot <laughs> had snot. It was, there was bad. dribble <laughs> and drool. For the uh, for the text transcript of this podcast, that word's gonna look different on a page. I'm just gonna warn you. You're not wrong. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> Um, Be sure to read Cinema Roundtable. In case <laughs> right. you're so there, there was a lot less of that. That was there. It was sure. present, but right. there was less of it, which I appreciated, but um, I anticipated more. So it's it's a lot more polished in a lot of ways, but it's it's still it still felt a little bit like a, a waste of time in a way. Um, it does add a potential conclusion to the franchise if they decide to to keep it as a conclusion. There's a way for them to reboot it later if they want. It's also a way for them to end it if they want. Sure. So, um, I kind of I would I would like to see it as the definite conclusion, mm. just because I don't think they need to build on it anymore. Right. So, there you go. Invaders in Enter the Florpus. <laughs> it's on Netflix. It's a Netflix original. Um, okay. Along with the new Rocco's Modern Life short, which I believe you said is even shorter. It's yeah, it's like only like 43 minutes. 43 yeah, minutes. It kind of feels like two um, normal sitcom show lengths just kind of butted up to each other. So. And I, I would say this one's a little bit like that as well. It could be a three-parter if you wanted to. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't know where those commercial breaks would be, but I like that. I like the revivals. Yeah, I'm, I would I'm take into it. A Hey Arnold revival. I was just thinking that. I was just thinking like like Invader Zim. Yeah. Uh, Rocco's Modern Life. What's another show kind of from that era? See, yeah. I didn't. I know. I didn't watch that one. <gasps> you didn't. It's no. genuinely. You oh, should watch wow. it now. I think it holds up. It, I've, it I've, really does. I've heard. Well, I heard a lot of good things back in the day, and I just I don't know why I didn't like it, but. Yeah. It it's does seem like end. something I would like more now as opposed mm-hmm. to as a kid. I think it was kind of right between Rocco's Modern Life, which was like 90s, mid-90s, mm-hmm. yeah. and Invader Zim, yeah. which was like 2000, 2000s. mid-2000s. Yeah. yeah, I think it was like right there It was at the start of the 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. With like Angry Beavers and Cat yeah. Dogs. Oh, yes. yeah. Oh, yes. Cat Dogs. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Memory lane. All kinds of content for Netflix to refresh. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, why not, man? Why not? Um, okay. Next, let's talk about The Black Coat's Daughter. The Black Coat's Daughter. Little, little <laughs> Black Coat's Daughter. Isn't that the song that plays at the beginning? Oh, my God. You're right. I forgot about it's that. It's really creepy. It's very it- eerie. It's really creepy. It has stuck with me. I remember yeah. that song. Little, little black da-da. You can watch the beginning of the movie on Netflix and understand what that song is supposed to sound like. But um, yeah, it came out in a 2015, so just a few years ago. It was written and directed by Oz Perkins, which, if you're a Legally Blonde fan, he played Dorky David 
in that movie. So that that was fun to learn for me. What a weird portfolio. I know. I was looking at his IMDb. It's like all this scary dark stuff. Legally Blonde. I was like, excuse me, <laughs> what? what? And I'm like obsessed with Legally Blonde. Yeah. So I had to know. And I was like, oh my God, David. Right. Yes. <laughs> so that's him. Uh, he does scary movies now. And uh, this movie follows two Catholic schoolgirls, um, like high schoolers. They, I guess, go to a boarding school. That's what it looks like. And um, they, it's like, um, is it winter break? I think it's yeah, winter break. It's winter yeah. break because what was kind of fun about this movie for me was I went to boarding school in high school also. And uh, it wasn't Catholic school, but it was still Christian mm-hmm. school. So I was like, oh, yeah, that looks a lot like <laughs> the dorms we had. <laughs> and, like, we also had, like, you get a break, like, every six weeks or so, so you don't, like, kill each other. <laughs> like in this movie. <laughs> right. I don't know. But, um, yeah, so these two girls, um, their parents were late picking them up for some reason. We don't really know why um, until the end. And so they kind of have to stay on campus and one of them's older than the other. But the younger one, who's played by Kiernan Shipka, who she plays Sabrina in the new Netflix Sabrina revival. Um, she's just like from the beginning, very creepy, <laughs> not really acting normal. You know, something's kind of off with her, but you're not exactly sure what. And as the movie progresses, it kind of starts to make more sense. And while this is happening, while these two girls are basically at this boarding school by themselves, I think there's like two nuns who are there also, but they don't keep that close of an eye on them. They just like eat together. Um, There's this other girl who like we know she's escaped from somewhere like it looked like an asylum, but you don't really know what her deal is and. This um, father and mother pick her up because they're like, oh, do you need help? And they offer to drive her um, to the city where this boarding school is. And you know that for some reason she's like, OMG, <laughs> like about the city. Like she's been there before. It's something important to her, but you don't know why. And um, yeah, it's just one of those movies that is very atmospheric it's very like slow moving, but at the same time really captivating because I feel like some movies try to do that, but really it just makes you sleepy. <laughs> but this one did a good job of making it interesting. And they also did a really good job of assuming the viewer is like an intelligent human being. Like they didn't spell things out for you. They put little hints here and there and you're just like, oop, maybe that's important. I don't know. And then in the end... When all is said and done, which a lot is uh, said and done by the end, you're just like, oh, she did this because blah, blah, blah. And this happened because this. Oh, my God. And then you're just proud of yourself because you just put this puzzle together just by watching a movie. It's a very difficult movie to talk about. Yeah. Right. It's like a good job. (laughs) Even though even though it's really slow moving, there's a lot of revealing in each little like scene and yeah I don't want to spoil it but it's really good I would highly recommend it I've been I love thrillers and I love horror movies and it's hard to find genuinely good ones and this one was a good one yep this is a24 
as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the earlier A24 horror movies. Okay. Um, so other than creepy Catholic schoolgirl, <laughs> what kinds of elements are at play that make this a horror movie? I don't know how much. The, oh, just the, I'm trying to think There's... of how to describe it. You kind of get this like ghostly vibe and there's some creepy like I don't know how to describe it like movements like little twitches and like things here and there and you're just like that are disturbing like when you see them and you're just like oh okay and so at first you're like I don't really get how this will be scary and then as it progresses it just kind of gets worse and worse and you're like okay I looked up the Plot synopsis mm-hmm. on IMDb. This mm-hmm. is the non-spoiler plot synopsis, and it does mention something that's kind of vague, but I think it helps describe what's going on a little bit better. Okay. So I hope this doesn't give away too much. In the dead of winter, Cat and Rose, two very different girls, find themselves spending winter break at their prestigious prep school. What they don't know is that Cat is being stalked by an evil entity, and their lives are about to change forever. Meanwhile, Joan, a young troubled woman, makes her way across a frozen landscape towards the school. But why? Okay. That's a very good synopsis. <laughs> Bada bing. All right. Um, I remember seeing previews for that and being somewhat interested. I, mm. Emma Roberts is usually like a hit or miss kind of a yeah. actress for me. So I, I haven't always been excited to see her stuff. But I think I might check it out. Yeah, it's good. And you like horror movies. I I am coming around. Yeah. Yeah. For a while there, it was was no go, but <laughs> I'm coming around. This one's good. Okay. I'll check it out. Um, I think we've got one more before we move into our feature film. Uh, this one I don't have a lot to say about. Well, I, I don't have a lot <laughs> of good to say about it. It's called After Darkness. This is a Hulu movie. Uh, it caught stars. It in the green. Yes, caught it in the green. Um, it stars Natalia Dyer of Stranger Things. She plays um, Nancy. Uh, it also has Kira Sedgwick, um, and she plays uh, the mother in the movie. Um, the premise is that this is a family of five, and they are coming together because the sun has burnt out. Uh, so they are all coming together to figure out what their next step is, if there is a next step. Um, and basically they come together in their family home. Tim Daly, who plays the father, um, has this connection and they're going to go to the caves and they're going to be safe there. Um, he has some sort of political connection with someone who's in office and he's, he's going to get them rescued to the caves. And so everybody converges on the family home, uh, in order for their next step to be moving to the caves. Uh, the eldest brother... Um, arrives with a fiance. It might just be a girlfriend that is expecting his child. Um, and so that causes strain in the family. The middle son, whom is basically the main character, has a lot of tension with his father. Doesn't get along with his father. Doesn't like his father. Um, and and you slowly learn throughout the movie what those reasons are other than very obviously the father's kind of just a dick. <laughs> um, the mother, played by Kira Sedgwick, uh, has some 
like post-traumatic stress disorder and uh, maybe some other mental health issues that cause a lot of strain in the family, especially on the father. Uh, and then the youngest daughter, played by Natalia Dyer, um, she doesn't have anything in particular that causes strain on the family. She's just someone that the family feels needs to be protected at all times. And so uh, Tim Daly's character feels like he's being stretched so thin. He's trying to do all these, like, be so cold and stern in order to protect his family. And it causes a greater rift throughout the whole family. And so it's, they're just, they're stuck in this one room environment. It's another one of those movies that's basically takes place in one room, one or two rooms. Um, and it's about the world as the sun starts to have burned out, which I don't think is technically possible. Like that's not how stars die. I don't think, but, um, it's, uh, it's not very good. It, it took me a little bit to figure out what it was that I didn't like about it other than just not being very good. Um, but toward the end, I started to realize that it seemed a lot like a play. Mm. And movies that feel like plays, you don't like that. I kind of hate it. Yeah, because yeah. like I was really excited to see Fences. I didn't know it was a play when I saw it, and then I watched it, and I'm like, man, this is just too much. Shoot. And then afterward, it was like, this is based on a play, and it felt very much like a play, just wow. in the movies. <laughs> well, then yeah, and then there's lots of movies that aren't based on plays that are very much written that way. Right, you know? and this and is like one of them. Yeah. This is one of them. I don't think it's based on a play. I think it's a new story. I tried to yeah. find out real quick just now, no, but I can't yeah, find anything about it. Um, but it feels very much like a play. There are some dramatic moments that are a little overly dramatic hmm. that would be kind of cool on a stage, but don't really translate well to a film. So I think if maybe someone out there wanted to throw it onto a stage, maybe it would be a good like one act or something, mm -hmm. but it doesn't make for a very good movie. Now, is it a Hulu movie or it's just on Hulu? As far as I can tell, it's a Hulu movie. Okay. So, yes. I'm going to say yes. It is a Hulu movie. I was looking at this movie on Letterboxd and it only has 58 ratings, which is very, very, very low. Yeah, there's not a lot. Like Rotten Tomatoes has no critic score and a very low audience score. Wow. Uh, and IMDb has a very low score as well. It's Yeah, it's not great. If you don't have to watch it, I don't recommend it. Avoid it like the sun burning out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We'll try. <laughs> no Absolutely. Um, all right. Is there anything else that anyone wants to add before we start moving on to our future film? No. 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 Okay. <gasps> no. <laughs> our feature film for this episode is The Farewell. We mentioned A24 earlier. This is another A24 film. It looks like in association with a lot of other production companies. Mm -hmm. I, I seem oh, to yeah. recall like four or five yeah. logos yeah. happening like before the film. Um, so who wants to cover the premise of this? So Billy is a Chinese-American young woman who uh, lives with her parents and uh, her grandmother lives back in China, and they learn that her grandma, Nai Nai, has been diagnosed with cancer. But uh, the 
their extended family back in China decide not to tell her and instead decide to um, keep it a secret because they don't want the fear to be a burden on Nai Nai. And uh, the family decides to make sort of a uh, impromptu wedding <laughs> of some of the younger members of the family to have an excuse to go visit Nai Nai and bring all of the family together. Meanwhile, Billy struggles with telling her grandmother the truth. Is that fair? Yes, I would I say that good. a lot of that, um, she wants to tell her because of a cultural difference. She was raised right. mostly in America, and and the West feels that, in general, are more individualist, whereas Eastern cultures are more, you are part of a whole. Yes. And so um, the West culture focuses a lot on individual peoples and the importance of you know each individual person mm-hmm. and so that that kind of translates into she should know about her own self kind of a thing and so yeah they visit china and uh they they go through the motions trying to uh plan this wedding for uh two of the younger members that uh, have only been dating for a short period of time. It's yeah, like three months. Yeah, something. three months. And they make a joke like, oh, let's tell everyone it's been six months. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, all right, like that'll help, but okay. Yeah. And they're also from, so the guy, the cousin or whatever who's getting married, him and his part of the family live in Japan, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting. So he doesn't speak very good Chinese mm-hmm. and is soon to be wife doesn't speak any chinese. any chinese at all yeah um so yeah a lot of the a lot of the young members of the family don't speak any chinese and it's 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 a lot about um differences in culture and uh death and what death means uh both to the person who's dying and to family and what matters more you know the people you leave behind or the person who is lost um which is you know, a lot of the kind of things that you think about when you're someone who thinks about death a lot, um, I can say I think about that and whether it's more important that I die or whether it's more important to the people I leave behind, you know, that, those kind of things. I think it's also worth mentioning that Nai Nai is based on a, a real person. Yes. That this is this story is based on something, a, a real person who was diagnosed and um, sort of how their family actually reacted mm-hmm. to that news. There are also a lot of uh, segments in the movie um, on on how they prevent Nai Nai from learning her diagnosis. Yeah, because mm-hmm. the opening scene has Nai Nai in the hospital, or two two or three yeah. scenes. Yeah, yep. yeah, she's remember. like on the phone with Billy, who's in New York, and she's like in the waiting room. That's right, yeah. And Billy's like, why are you at the hospital? And she's like, oh, no, no, that's fine, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And her, I think it's, yeah, and it's interesting because you see the doctor tell, is it her sister, Mm -hmm. the grandma's Mm -hmm. sister, uh, her diagnosis, and the sister is just like, okay, and like goes out to Nai Nai and says, oh, it's fine, it's just shadows, benign shadows is what she yeah, calls it. she calls it. them benign shadows. And the grandma's just like, oh, all right then. <laughs> <laughs> but the doc, yeah, that's, that, I think that was an interesting part for me is the fact that the doctors go, like it's a common enough practice that the doctors also go along with it, mm-hmm. like they know the drill. Mm-hmm. So should we do general thoughts? Yeah, let's, let's, let's hear it. Um, 
so in general, uh, a good rule of thumb for me is if a movie can make me cry, then it's doing something right. Uh, so I, I did have a few moments uh, where some tears rolled down my face. Um, I haven't lost a lot of family members in my time. Um, and I've only ever lost one to cancer and I was pretty young. Um, so I, it's, it's not for those reasons that it really hits me. I think it's just really strong dialogue writing, um, some really great performances, uh, and reaction shots especially, um, are pretty strong. Um, and I think that helps to draw home, uh, drive home, sorry, rather, death and the impact and what that means um, and how it affects different people differently and how grief affects different people differently and fear. Um, there's a lot of subdued elements of fear. Like they talk about how fear is what kills you rather than the cancer. That's that's the Eastern saying. They um, But there's a lot of like less spoken elements of fear and what fear does to people and and how that's important and how you know different people react to different kinds of fear um so yeah i think the dialogue's very strong i thought a lot of the performances were very well done um yeah and it it does some interesting stuff with um language barriers um that's a that's an element that you don't get to see in a lot of movies and so i think it did a really good job of creating this is what happens in this kind of language barrier in this kind of family dynamic and how they approach that uh, and how um, how different characters will interact with those language barriers or when they don't have those language barriers and what that means too. So yeah, yeah I thought it was great. I thought it was a good movie. <laughs> awesome. Is it in your top 10? I don't know. I haven't taken a look at my top 10 in a little bit. Um, might be in my top 10. I don't think it would be in my top five. Yeah. But I could see it being in my top 10. I think it's in my top 10. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to add it. I still have to go through my list. I've yeah. kind of I haven't neglected taken, it. <laughs> I haven't taken a look at it in a while. Yeah. So I, I can't say for certain. But yeah, by no means is it at all a bad movie. Yeah. Yeah, I was really glad we got to see this because, like we said earlier, we didn't know if it was going to be in Lincoln. And I was, like, pretty bummed out because I, well, because I saw Aquafina in Crazy Rich Asians and she plays, like, the funny friend. And so I was excited to see her in this, like, more drama type movie. But still, I guess you could describe it as a dark comedy, like... A drama, but it's still yeah. it's still pretty dramedy. funny here and here. Yeah. yeah, dramedy. I think that's fair. Um, yeah, this movie, like you, Steph, and I also cried <laughs> <laughs> at the end. But well, because I lost my grandma to cancer last year. Actually, mm. it'll be a year uh, in a few weeks, and so I I knew seeing this movie was probably gonna like affect me because it's still like pretty fresh or whatever, but. I just loved how this movie was like an homage to grandmas. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, even though I'm not Chinese and I've never had to deal with the types of things Billy has to deal with, like not telling her Nai Nai that she has cancer. Uh, but I think it showed 
in a very good way how you know we're I feel like we're at that age where like it's you know we're at the point where it's like we're gonna lose grandparents or like elder people we're close to and it's like a part of life but it's also really really difficult and just how losing like a matriarch the matriarch of the family which you they show many times that she's really the glue that keeps everyone together because so many people are like you know live in America live in Japan live somewhere else in China like not very close and she says like oh it's so great having everyone back and that's how my grandma was too she was like the OG like gangsta mm-hmm. grandma yeah, like <laughs> yeah and they they showed really well how meaningful a person like that is and when you do realize that they're not going to be around forever and you kind of start to get a taste of what things will be like after that you're just like whoa and that's when I think a lot of the characters get emotional like just the thought of her not being there anymore gets people emotional and I really liked how they there were like a lot of scenes where it was just like Billy and her interacting like having a fun time Mm -hmm. and her doing like grandma things like trying to like teach her a lesson and calling her like stupid girl (laughs) trying to trying to match her up with a Chinese doctor Uh, I've had that happen (laughs) not a Chinese doctor an Adventist doctor a little different but um yeah, this is just it's such ah, I loved this movie. I loved it. I thought it was a really good balance of, you know, funny moments, like not taking itself too seriously but still showing something really important and also the um how I guess I've never seen this in a movie, but and this sounds this might sound weird, but I've never seen like a Japanese person and a Chinese person mm. in the same movie, mm. which I feel like is really weird that I I guess I've never thought of that before. But when they were talking, like, like the the girl who's, like, getting married to the cousin, she, mm-hmm. like, talks Japanese for a little bit, and then you hear them talk Chinese, and you hear, like, the differences and stuff. It's like, that's not something I feel like Americans are really exposed to at all. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was actually that was really cool for me to see um just yeah well and, and even historically speaking yeah. like in american films like chinese people will be played by koreans and, yeah exactly and they'll the the whole like classic white man calling everybody chinese kind of thing mm-hmm. has, has historically been the case and so this this movie tackles that a little bit or at least like throws it out the window yeah and, exactly. and prevents you from doing such a thing yeah so yeah i would 10 10 would recommend and I, it's in my top 10 <laughs> I, I agree with a lot of things you two said like it, it i think it's a beautiful movie it didn't move me to tears but uh, made me monster think about, i know <laughs> sorry made me think about uh, my grandfathers actually who i've i've lost both my grandfathers um i still have my two grandmothers and it, it made me think about all the things that they've done for my family, how they've always shown just unconditional love. And that's the thing is whenever Nai Nai is in this movie, she's just unconditionally loving everybody and trying to make everybody's lives 
better and brighter. And it's and it's just such a thing to see. I mean, she is an, a fantastic character. One of my favorite characters in movies this year I agree. so far. And um, uh, a lot of this movie, I found myself actually really sympathizing with Billy at every moment. I would ask myself, what would I do in this situation if I were Billy? And often she would do exactly what I felt like I would do, which was incredible. And Stefan, you mentioned the um, the act of lying as kind of a tradition in Chinese culture to protect people who are diagnosed or are feared of being lost because of an illness, protecting them from that fear so that they don't let it burden themselves. And I thought that that was a, like kind of a stretch when I started watching this movie because I knew that was part of the premise. Uh, but I actually, I didn't completely identify with that viewpoint, but I think the movie makes a really strong argument in a couple ways for that tradition and makes that argument actually at Billy, um, who I was identifying with so much. And by the end, I was actually very sympathetic towards that mindset. Um, so I thought that was incredible that that in a span of about, a you know, just over 90 minutes that the movie actually kind of made this argument about why Chinese people do this. And so I thought that was incredible. Um, and yeah, it's like a movie about lying and what that does to people. And I was reading more about their culture and um, found some some things online. I, I found a couple people saying basically this general thing. But Chinese people rarely say I love you to their kids. Um, they find it more acceptable to show love through, um, I guess, acts of service, but not just like getting your kids something. It's the big things. It's like going to work every day of your life and providing them a livelihood and a, and a meal every night. They see that as expressing love. And, and whenever they kind of look at the long term, like what has my family members done for me. Oh, wow, they really do love me. They don't have to say anything. And so um, kind of reinforces that idea of, of the family being a unit that, that needs to love on each other constantly and, and they look out for each other, not just themselves. Yeah, I, I thought it, it was a very fascinating look at the culture and um, very emotional too. I, I love how simple it is too. And how artful a lot of the cinematography managed to be too. Like, there's a shot of the family just walking down like an alley at one point. That's that's. Um, it shouldn't be as amazing as it is, but it just makes you think about the journey that you've just taken with these people for the past, you know, almost like hour. And uh, that's an incredible moment. There's the moment where Billy is about kind of contemplating going to China to visit. Her family because her parents initially don't want her to go they think that she'll blow it mm -hmm. and uh she's in a like a subway station i think it is and she sees a subway train going by and she visualizes nine eyes standing on the other side and you see like like glimpses of her in between the cars like moments like that i i remember so vividly and uh the movie did a lot with with the kind of simple premise that it had mm -hmm. yeah so I loved it. I, it's definitely going to be in my top 10 of the year. Okay. Before we move on to spoilers, and there's not going to be a ton to really discuss in spoilers, but before we move on to spoilers, uh, hypothetical scenario, do you consider lying to a family member or relative 
uh, if you had the opportunity. Would the rest of the family be in on this? Would the rest of the family be wanting me to do this? Well, potentially, like maybe Billy? maybe it's your spouse, and mm. no one else has to be in on it. But consider both scenarios. Mm. That's hard wow. because I kind of kind of like what you said. At, by the end of the movie, you get why they do it. And but that I, doesn't necessarily mean I would do that. Yeah, like it made its argument, and. You know, at first I was like, "That this is really far-fetched. I don't understand this, why you would do this, how you could get away with this. And then there's a scene where the uncle has an ex- – he sits down with Billy and he kind of explains the family's mindset and the culture's mindset. And then there's a moment at the end where you learn something about Nai-Nai that reinforces mm-hmm. it as well. Yeah. That – was really powerful too, and uh, and so you know really made me turn around in that thinking. But honestly, I don't think I would do it in real life. Okay. In either context. Okay. Yeah. Haley. I don't. I don't. I don't think so. But if there was, if there was like actual research that proved that by not telling them, <laughs> they would live longer because they would not know not even realize you know how sick they were Mm -hmm. then i would consider it but if it's just kind of like oh you know maybe no i i think i would tell them okay it would be a lot easier to not tell them if the rest of the family was in on this secret Mm -hmm. right and you went through this same experience as billy being kind of the only one who was questioning why this was happening and then you had to have an experience like this week of going to visit your family. And I think the things that happened to her greatly influence her viewpoint and her acceptance of just, you know, like, you know, keeping that lie or or not keeping that lie. So I don't know. It, it's dependent on what your family's doing, I think. I okay. think it would be hard, too, if they have to go through some treatment. Because, like, they show yeah. in the movie how the oh, yeah. brother, like, buys like this expensive prescription for her like from Japan and tells her they're like multivitamins or whatever yeah. stuff like that like I wouldn't I you know I would consider it there's and I'm gonna throw this back as a reference to a show you wouldn't expect Malcolm in the Middle oh. I just finished watching all of that <laughs> I love heck? that show <laughs> there is Netflix is rebooting it there's Yay. one episode where Hal Brian Cranston's yes. character uh confronts his wife uh lois about faith and christianity um and and she is an atheist whereas hal believes and so he he's concerned he gets sad because his wife doesn't believe and he's worried about going to heaven without her and that Mm. she you know they they will die feeling differently um, and at some point in the episode, Lois, I think, talks to Malcolm about it or, you know, subtly hints at it. And uh, he's like, you're an atheist. Like, what's the harm in just lying to dad about it to make him feel better? And that really stuck with me because, like, growing up, I struggled with faith to finally arrive at being an atheist. And I'm married to a pretty devout Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't lie to her about it, but... I, I sympathize with the idea that it's should something happen, it's it's more important for the someone else to feel that comfort. Right. 
if you're the person who can handle the the burden of the lie or maybe the fear, then if you can handle that burden, then maybe it is more important for someone else to feel better. Mm-hmm. And so I would consider it. Yeah. So if you, say, had cancer and you didn't know and your family knew mm-hmm. and then they were keeping it a secret from you and then you found out somehow, like accidentally, would you be angry and upset that they kept it from you? I think I would be more afraid of dying. I think for me, and that this is something they mentioned in the movie too, Billy was like, well, doesn't she have things she needs to take care of Like yeah. when she's gone? That's what I would be mad about right. if I was lied to because I'm like, y'all, I need to write my will. I need to <laughs> get this money together. Like I need to set y'all up and that's, for success. <laughs> that's fair, but I'm, yeah. I, personally, I live my life in a constant state of like, I have to get this shit done. Like, yeah. I'm always afraid of death, and I'm always afraid of um, just not being able to get everything done. Wow. And so I'm always, getting that stuff done is always on my mind. I'm surprised you enjoyed this movie, honestly. Like, I'm, I'm surprised you didn't, like, like, find it extremely tense and, like, scary. Feeling sorry for Nai Nai not having her family tell her and, like, feeling this sense of dread. Mm-hmm. Did you feel that at all? Um, No, because the movie... It doesn't, I have to wait until spoilers really to kind of like sure. get at why. That's okay, yeah. Um, Should we go into spoilers? Yeah, is there uh, anything else to talk about? I don't know, about? is there anything, yeah. Do you so. need to add anything? Man, the performances are all really great. I I just adore it. Yeah. I love this movie, yeah. I recommend it. It probably won't be in theaters much longer. No. Maybe no, a couple so. showings even, next week. Oh, Is I, it even out still? I do want to I mean, you saw it on Tuesday, Tuesday. but I think it was gone after that, maybe. Uh, I do want to share something about how much money it made. Not that it made a terrible amount at the box office, but the average per theater was off the charts. Oh, nice. I will Uh, say that I went and saw it at like nine o'clock in the morning expecting to be the only person in the theater and there was not I, I wasn't there were more people more there. people yeah so listen to this in its opening weekend the film made three hundred fifty five thousand six hundred sixty two dollars from four theaters for an average of eighty eight thousand nine hundred sixteen dollars per venue so it opened in only four theaters probably in like los angeles and mm-hmm. like you know big cities like that it was the best average of 2019 besting avengers endgames seventy six thousand six hundred one dollars wow. so just, this is just per theater average uh it expanded to 35 theaters in its second weekend and earned 1.14 million then made one and a half million from 135 theaters in its third it continued to expand the following weeks, making 2.4 million from 426 theaters and then 2.2 million from 705 theaters. But how crazy is that? That's uh, great. Just you, over $355,000 from just four theaters in a weekend. Do you think this movie will possible? get Oscar buzz or is it, I don't even know like hard how know. you need to get in that. A lot of it, <laughs> well, a lot of the Oscar game is campaigning. So yeah. it depends on, that's what's unfortunate is there's all this politics behind how movies even get nominated so it just depends on if there's a big push later this year to get it i mean i feel like it was just kind of before that really hot oscar Mm -hmm. release window but that doesn't mean that movies released in the first you know eight months of the year can't get nominated so Mm -hmm. we'll we'll see i think it has a couple things working against it that it's more of an independent film 
that it was a smaller budget. Um, not as many people have seen it as you know some of the stuff coming out this October, November, December will. Mm-hmm. And um, I just don't know if it'll have a huge campaign push. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if there is an Oscar for casting, but I could see mm, like that being deserved mm-hmm. if that were a thing. I can but... see it being really big. There's an award show specifically for independent films. It's called the Independent Spirit Awards. Okay. And, oh yeah. Uh, I only knew about it. I've only known about it the past couple of years, but it's been going on a long time. And they put that award ceremony up online. It is fascinating. Because a lot of the filmmakers you see at the Oscars are here, and this venue is like huh. nowhere near as glitzy and glamorous as the Oscars. And it's just all these filmmakers, like really high profile actors and directors alongside independent actors and filmmakers. And it's so fascinating. And a lot of movies like The Farewell get credit where credit is due. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think last year, I think Best Film went to. Um, um, if Beale Street Could Talk, which oh, is Barry yeah. Jenkins' new movie, who did Moonlight, mm-hmm. and that was barely nominated at the Oscars. I mean, Regina King won an Oscar for her role in that movie, but other than that, like pretty much nothing, I don't think. So it is it is a really great way to um, see movies like this, get recognition, and also find out about movies. There's tons of movies that get nominated where you go, I don't even know what that movie is. I haven't heard of it. Can you watch it on TV or online? Or? I think you can watch it online. Not sure about TV if they tele- yeah. televise it. But yeah, I think that happens at the beginning of the year. Excellent. Uh, well, I think this is the point in our discussion where we will move on into spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie, uh, you're going to have a hard time seeing it. It looks like there's not very many showings left in all of Nebraska. Um But uh, if you do want to wait to find out the very few spoilers that we have, uh, this would be the time to click away. Could it really be that simple? Secret lies with Charlotte. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Aren't you asking us to accept a pretty incredible coincidence? I'm just saying a coincidence is possible. And I say it's not possible. Those keys, Rose. You know I can't give you the keys, right, babe? Silent breed is people! The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And like that, he's gone. All right, and we're back to bid a farewell with oh. spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> Haley, that- yell the loudest spoiler. Nay-nay is alive! <laughs> that we know of. <laughs> Yes. The real Actually, did, so that's something I wanted to look up. I didn't have time. Is Nine Night still alive today? The real I, Nine Night? Well, they said in they the said, credits, I, as of 2019, okay, Nine Night is okay. still with us. So the it real said, Nine Night that Nine Night is based on, she was actually diagnosed It was like six, six years six ago? Six years, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's that's still alive. Incredible. Also. That's incredible. Because she's given, how, how much time Three is she months. given to live? Three yeah. months to live in the movie. And so I... I want to say that that's probably faithful to the timeline they gave her in real life, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you have to imagine. That's crazy. Yeah. But that was, I remember, because the very last scene is like Billy walking down a street in New York, mm-hmm. and she does that, the ha, ha. thing. 
Yeah. And then it just like cuts. And then it shows a picture of the real Nai Nai and it says, Nai Nai has lived six years past her diagnosis yeah. so far. Yeah. No, I totally expected that that was like the moment that she died was. Right. Like, yeah. Oh. That's kind of what I thought too. And I was like, that's beautiful. It and then was. I saw Nai Nai's photo and I was like, <gasps> <laughs> She's still here. Uh, yeah, I have goosebumps. That's that's crazy. So you mentioned the other moment, or one of the other moments that I think is a spoiler. The fact that Billy is back in New York and has not told her grandmother. Is the whole oh, movie? Yeah, the whole yeah, movie. Yeah. I was thinking this is all telling us the story of how Nai Nai will eventually find out mm-hmm. or something. You know, I thought that that's. I mean, I. I, I thought, like, is that where this movie is going? And I think it's legitimate to say that a spoiler is that Billy ends up being, you know, complicit in this lie. Mm-hmm. And then the other one being Nai Nai did the same very thing with her late husband. Yeah. Which Another... makes me think what I thought was going to happen was that in the end she was going to be like, oh, I know I'm sick. Like, maybe yes. she wouldn't know what. But, you know, you can tell that she starts to notice that something's really wrong with her. But she just kind of ignores it. And I thought there was going to be like one of those like come to Jesus moments where she's like, oh, stupid child. I've known this whole yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> like, crying, like crying don't you know you're going right. to die. Like, I know. I've known since the start. I was I've expecting known. that too. I thought, yeah. And yeah, I'm that's glad it didn't expecting. happen because, I mean, it's always nice when the unexpected happens. So you may have seen my eyes buck out just a second ago. Um I looked to double check just to make sure that Nai Nai didn't die between oh, no. final oh, no. cut and no. and watching the movie. She's still alive. Okay. Oh, thank First God. of all, and she still doesn't know that she's sick. <gasps> that was something okay. I was going to ask. That's what I was going to ask because if you're what? making this movie, you have she to have- She would have to know. You have to have full Wait, confidence. Wait, but will they not show it in China? She know she knows like they show they had a film crew you know in yeah. showing her tai chi moves. Although that could just be a home movie. It could be, took but it's not with her. What? Yeah, she's what? still alive. Did they she just still tell doesn't her know. It's a documentary. They, to- they told her that it's if if she asks about it, they'll just tell her it's fiction. What? What? That's not. I don't now. Okay. Even though you're reading an article that's probably real. I don't believe that. I will I will list my source here. It is on screencrush.com. I just Googled is Nai Nai still alive. It's crazy. Um, I cannot that I kind of understand why they would want to keep up with it now that she's lived so long. Yeah. Like maybe they're like, oh, it's like this lie has become like a good luck charm in a way. <laughs> I know. But that would be hard. My one thought. Like when that when she showed up and they said six years later the real Nai Nai is still alive, I the first thing like I thought wow that's amazing I was not expecting that and then my first thought was well the real Nai Nai must know yeah she knows now yeah, that's, that's what I thought that's too that's kind of what I assumed too it's like there's no way they make this movie and she doesn't know about <laughs> that's it crazy to me Nai Nai <laughs> don't listen to this podcast Nai 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 big cinema roundtable fan <laughs> right. <laughs> We're really big in China. She definitely listens to like Lincoln, Nebraska SoundCloud. Yes. Stuff. <laughs> yeah, we're really big in Changchun, China. Sitting <laughs> around table. That's what I've heard. That's what that's what Ryan tells me. <laughs> well, what were we were gonna talk more about death, I guess. Okay. So the reason that I wasn't filled with such dread is first of all, 
I think about death like all the time, especially lately. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just kind of like am always living there. But also, (laughs) uh, it's the movie does such a good job of um, hiding death from Nai Nai that it's more about family and uh, respect for your like ancestors and a lot about um, differences in culture and the importance of family and breaking down those boundaries that exist that you build up over your lifetime between your family members. So it, it the movie felt more about that than it does about death. Um, whereas like maybe in a natural disaster movie, I would be feeling sure. that, that yeah. dread all the time because cool. it is about something out of your control trying to mm-hmm. kill you. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the most powerful moments is that scene with her uncle talking about how we take on the burden of our older family members. Mm-hmm. And it's so perfect because it doesn't happen immediately when she gets to China. It happens a good while into it. when she, After she's been asking, why can't we tell her? Why are we lying? This is wrong. She's been saying all these things to all her family members. Mm-hmm. She's gone to the spa with her, like, aunt or whatever and she's like you think we should tell her and she's she's asking everybody should we tell Nai Nai this mm-hmm. is not right and I love that moment because that is how your family would talk to you about it like it wouldn't all come as a neat little package explanation all at once mm-hmm. like you would have to be told a couple different ways by different family members that that's just what we do and uh I, I thought that that, w- that felt so real, that, that, especially that moment. And that was the moment where I started to think, oh, my gosh, there might be a little bit of truth to this. Mm-hmm. I kind of understand this a little bit more now. Well, and it's especially profound coming from that character because he's like he's the artist. He's the carefree one mm-hmm. that kind of yes. just like floated back into China. But you see him like really stern and serious while – you know that Billy's father, you know, uh, her uncle's brother, has like a lot of, you know, damage. You know that he has a drinking problem, yeah. that kind of thing. So you know that like he's got some some demons, but you don't really see anything um, from her uncle. But he's just like really stern and, and in this moment. Um, and then later on, you see him break down a little bit at the funeral. You don't know, you know, Nai doesn't know why she assumes... His son's getting married, you know, they're tears of joy, but really he's saying goodbye and it's he it's it's tough for him because he was so stern just a few moments before. Yeah. And it's it's really profound, I think, from that character. And those the moments with him stand out the most in my mind, I think. Yeah, absolutely. There's a there's a couple other ideas that the movie kind of touches on, but I don't think they're the main emphasis. And one of them is the idea that you can kind of um, become detached from your family unexpectedly uh, if you don't keep up with them. Mm-hmm. And because mm-hmm. there's the there's the moment when she's first getting kind of the, the tour around her grandmother's place. She hasn't been in many years. Like you get the sense that – I think she said that the last time she was there, she was a little girl or whatever. And they introduce her to the maid mm-hmm. making the dinner. And they said, hey, this is this is our maid – Nice to meet you. She said, I don't remember her from, um, I actually remember, you know, the maid, who was it? And she names 
the maid she remembers from her childhood. And they go, they say something like, oh, yeah, sh- that was five maids ago. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I, I feel that at times when I go to, you know, like Christmas gatherings with my family. And I haven't seen my aunts and uncles since the last Christmas. It's, mm-hmm. I kind of feel that every year a little bit because everybody's spread out. I mean, there's always going to be the excuse that everybody's spread out and you, that you don't have enough time. But also... You also ask, like, can you make time right. too? I mean, do you really have an excuse? Mm-hmm. So uh, those moments were really powerful. It just kind of reminded me of my own family again, like I said before. So I really liked the scene where they go to the grandpa's tomb, yeah, or, or oh, whatever they yeah. call it. Yeah, I don't know what what they call that, like grave graveyard gravestone. Uh, sh- I don't sure. shrine. shrine. I think it's called. Shrine. I think yeah. they call yeah. them shrines. Oh yeah, and they like put all of his what were his favorite foods out for him and they're like oh you have to peel the orange or else he can't eat it yeah. and then the son's like light a cigarette and put yeah. it on the like, altar no, that's bad for him right and they're like he already died yeah the grandma's understand. like yeah. he quit and they're like <laughs> no he, he was didn't. lying to I you love that scene. dad yes. never quit that i think yes, that right. scene i i loved it because it shows how like even after someone's gone they're not this is a cliche, but they're not really gone. Mm, you right. know, you have like all the memories of them and it's when like you get together with your family, you're like, oh, remember when they did this and oh, they loved this. And sometimes that can be like a really hard thing to think about. But I think in this instance, especially when like you're with your family and stuff, it's more like a celebration yeah. and like mm-hmm. it's a fun time. And I really like how they do that. Yeah. Like, I it kind of makes me wish, like, I wish I could, like, go to my grandma's yes. grave and bring her, like, taco in or something. I know. <laughs> I, I had the same thought watching that scene as I did when I saw Coco. Oh, in Coco, yeah. you know, they, they talk about the Mexican tradition of basically a lot of that same stuff that they're doing. It's, mm-hmm. it's bringing pictures of your family member and covering them with flowers and making really the end goal is that you never forget yeah your family members and where you came from and you bring all the all the foods that they love it's like a big celebration of life and uh it made me jealous mm-hmm. of that of those traditions like why don't we do that you know i i just thought i couldn't help but think back to coco when i saw that and, right yeah that scene shows a lot of like respect but also a lot of love and just treating your your lost relative like they're sort of still around in a way mm-hmm. right in some form they're still there and that's yeah yeah that's that's one of the most profound like differences in culture scenes i think that the movie had yeah because I, I never really consider how other cultures treat death right. like yeah. after death has already occurred so yeah and it's also like even though it's kind of it's it's an important tradition that they're doing there's there's kind of a lightness to it too Mm -hmm. you know they're they're doing the triple bow thing you know Mm -hmm. after they every time they say a blessing but there's also kind of a lightness where they go like you know what else should we mention in this moment Mm -hmm. you know it's just kind of there's no agenda really there's they just what needs to be said in this moment and they say like um let's hope that you know billy Let's wish Billy good luck in her future, too, while we're here. Yeah. You know, like, I, I just love that. Yeah. Yeah. And I I also really like, this is kind of what I got from that end, huh, that she does <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. before it cuts all the out. Birds. Yeah. Something 
I learned when my grandma died, that took me like a while to learn, that really helped me like through it, is the fact that there's something like really powerful when someone who you're really close to like that, like a grandma or someone, when they pass and they're not here anymore, but you're still here and you start to notice all the things you do that's like them or things that you learned from them that you're carrying on. It's like, even though they're gone, you're still carrying their, quote, spirit, you you know. And I felt like that was kind of what Billy was doing when she was back in New York. Like, she thought that was going to be the last time she saw Nai-Nai, but really she still, like, had her, like, within her. Mm -hmm. And I liked that. Yeah, perfect way to wrap up the movie. I initially thought, this is a weird last shot. Just right. Like, you know, what What are they trying to do with that? It is, I'll be honest, I did kind of expect, like, when they were doing that in China, I was like, this is going to come back and it's going to be, like, the last thing that they do. Yeah. I did kind of. Yeah. But I also thought that Nai Nai was going to die, so. I also want to learn that whole routine she does. <laughs> <laughs> and just do it in the street. Well, when Netflix does a Nai Nai <laughs> original series. Yes! Give me a, a Nai Nai Netflix series, please. Well, I believe that about does it for our discussion on The Farewell. Uh, Be sure to join us next time when we will be talking about the new movie starring Renee Zellweger, Judy. Until then, everyone, we'll see you at the movies. This episode was recorded in the studios of KZUM 89.3 FM in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can find out more about KZUM and listen to more episodes of Cinema Roundtable by visiting kzum.org. Our theme music was composed by Joshua Spaulding.